Yep. So um, there's this story that we tell every year at Christmas called the Scrooge, and um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just I'm just messing. I'm just messing around a little bit. This week I did kind of a um, experiment on Facebook, and I asked what the worst uh, Christmas song is that anybody had ever heard. Um, if you want to know what the best is, in my opinion, there's this album called Behold the Lamb of God by Andrew Peterson that is absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. Now, he made a new recording of it, so if you go out and buy it, you need to get the old recording. The new recording is good, but the old recording is really like, it's all there. In fact, it was so good, it replaced my previous uh, favorite Christmas album, which was the Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack. <laughs> so it, it trumped that. You know, finally Jesus got to be number one. So nonetheless, it's, it's a great album. But I, but I put on Facebook, and I did it for two reasons. One, I wondered how many of my friends would actually follow instructions. And then second, I just wanted to know which one. So there were several people, like I told them to message me. And so either some of my friends aren't really familiar with Facebook or they just decided to comment in the bottom, but that's all right. I, I kind of hid their, their little things and I made a note of them. Um, I, I'm just kidding. You know, Santa has to get the list from somewhere, so I'm just helping it out. <laughs> that, yeah. So, so nonetheless, so some of the, some of the ones, the, I'll just give you the main one, was Grandma Got Run Over by Reindeer. A lot of people just don't like that song. Um, there was one that I was kind of shocked with for a few minutes, and then I realized the guy, was, the guy was playing with me. It was Silent Night, and he knows I'm a pastor, so he was just, he was just ribbing me a little bit. But the one that didn't make it, and I was wondering if someone else knew this song, is one called Winter Hymnal. Have you ever heard that song? Like, it's, it's, on, it's on a couple of Christmas albums, and I've deleted it or I've passed through it. And it's basically about you being cold and snowmen with um, red, um, what do you call these things you throw around your neck? Yeah, scarves around their head to keep their heads on and something about blood in the snow. It's just not a very cheerful type of, you know, Christmas song that you'd be like, yeah, this is really good. It's, it's some, some type of death going on. I tried to look up the meaning of this uh, about a year ago, and Reed did that this year. Nobody seems to know what the, what the song's about, but the melody is, is really an earworm, but at the same time, it's just kind of an odd thing. So that, that gets skipped because I want to be joyful at Christmas time, right? I don't, I don't want my Christmas interrupted with some type of of death and blood in the snow and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I hear about that all the time. So I kind of guard those Christmas moments. So I want you to hold on to that, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I don't know about no, you, no, but... That isn't the moment. Oh, that was Seth. Wow. And Seth's teaching children's worship today. All right, so uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. 
And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary. I want you to notice they went into a house. It wasn't a manger scene. Um, Just kind of a reference to last week's message. He talked about false teachings and, you know, be aware of those false teachings. I guarantee you that if, well, in a lot of homes in America, there's a false teaching around their, their manger scene. Y'all are looking at me crazy. I am a little crazy. But the wise men were not there. They weren't there. So I'm obviously a Pharisee and correct in my home. Oh, come on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but you, you know, you, we talk about false teaching all the time when we talk about the seriousness of truth. But at the same time, there's things that we do in our life. And we leave stuff out. And we're presenting the wrong message to the people that are walking into our home. And as little as that is, as little as that detail is, the wise men were not at the manger. They went to a house, and Jesus was a child. And that's a significant part of this story, very significant part of this story. So, you know, if you keep your wise men there, I'm not going to judge you because Jesus does that. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. All right. Eight. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. They found him, um, verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That's an interesting verse. Verse 13 says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So in the middle of this whole Christmas narrative is the story about these wise men coming and They're exceedingly glad to find the Christ child, but there's this guy named Herod that wants to kill the Christ child. And in his heart, he has has this thing where he wants to kill them. He wants to get rid of this Christ child because he would become king. The first thing I want us to realize today is that if you are in the center of God's will, darkness is still all around you. There is evil all around you. So darkness is real even when you are in God's will. Sometimes it's 
catches Christians off guard. They're following God. They're doing what they're supposed to. They're coming to church. They're reading their Bible. They're witnessing. They're, they're doing what they're supposed to. They're trying to live their lives. They're trying to follow God. They're trying to fulfill his call in their life. But there's some type of darkness that comes up. We need to realize that even though you are called, that doesn't mean things will always be good for you. In this passage of scripture, Mary and Joseph and Jesus received gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was like winning the lottery, okay? These were amazing gifts. It, it set them on a different financial plane. That evening, in a dream, not only are the wise men told to go somewhere else, a different route on the way home, but Mary and Joseph are told to go down to Egypt, and darkness arises, I think it's interesting that every time that God sends you into the darkness, there is always provision. Now, you might not get gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but you have everything that you need to survive that dark time. You see, I believe that the gold, frankincense, and myrrh went down to Egypt with them, and that was the way that they bought a home. That was the way that they fed themselves. That is the way that they got set up in that society. That is the way they got accepted in that society. So God set them up to be safe in Egypt while Herod, the villain, decided to come into Bethlehem and do his deed. So anytime things are going well, that's the time to say, okay, so God is setting me up for something. What is that? And when the darkness comes, you'll be ready for it because he's already provided a way. God always provides a way. And he is a planner, so he does it beforehand. So darkness is real even when you are in God's will. Now, if you want to debate whether or not Mary and Joseph are in God's will, that's fine. That's fine. You can debate that all you want to. But Jesus is involved, so it's a hard sell. Right? Jesus is involved in this. A very hard sell. So here's the darkness in the story. Um, have you ever noticed that at Christmas time, there's no like positive, encouraging songs about Herod? Ever notice that? There's not, not anything like that. Like nobody's singing how great he was because he was Herod the Great. Obviously, he gave himself that title. We have good King Wenceslas, who we're not really sure what in the world he is. We're not really sure about that song. But nonetheless, we don't have a, a nice Christmas song about Herod the Great. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard this tune right here? That's the sound of silence. I don't know if you've ever heard that song before. Have you ever heard that song? Yes? That's called the Coventry Carol. Okay? This is a song about Herod. Now, if you know this or not, it's a song about Herod. It is a lovely, lovely song because it's an earworm. Just nice to listen to. But here are the words. And I'm going to do the third verse. It says, Herod the king in his raging charged he hath this day his men of night in his own sight, all children young, to slay. Now, I, now I want you to visualize. You're, it's a carol. It's a Christmas carol. So you're at a home. You ring the doorbell. <laughs> and um, you sing joy to the world, right? You sing joy to the world, it's really good, and then a nice, uh, nice little silent night. And he said, do you, do you, do you have time for one more? This, this is a song that's really meaningful to us. And then you sing, uh, 
this one, the Coventry Carol, and it's just really beautiful, but at the same time, you're talking about killing children. And then to end that moment, you go, we wish you a Merry Christmas, right? Can, can you visualize that? So here is a song about the darkness that happened during the Christmas story and about a man who is absolutely ruthless. However, I would submit to you today that Herod was a great man. He was a great man in this sense. First of all, he was king and very powerful. So he was great by the world's standards. He had power and he had wealth. Herod was also great because he was, he was a bit of, a, of an administrator, a brilliant administrator actually. He built a lot of stuff. You see, he's really not the one that put great at the end of his name. The historians did because of everything that he built. Let me give you three examples, okay, of this. Right here is Caesarea, okay? This is a picture of modern-day, actually, Caesarea on the coastline. Do you see the water there? Herod had that dug up so that it could become a port that would rival the port in Alexandria. So that port right there is a little bit bigger than the one that was in Alexandria. It took a lot of work in order to make that happen. It took a lot of administration to make that happen. It took vision to make that happen. It took power to make that happen. Not only did he build that port, but if you notice right here, do you see that wall right there? It's not as big as the wall of China, but it's pretty tall, and you can actually walk on it and see that wall today. It, it is a massive feat that this man um, did. Look at this picture. This is um, in Maseda. It's on the side of a mountain. This is two of Herod's palaces. Amazing. He had people climb up. He had people build. He did the plans for this. This is absolutely an amazing thing. It's a ruin. And if you were actually to go there, you would be blown away. I've never been there. I've seen videos. But you would be blown away by it. Everybody that I had known that have gone, has gone there is amazed at the way that he built and the way that his mind worked and the way that he caused these things to happen. This was not a stupid man. It wasn't a stupid man. He had power and he used it. Now, he used it to build himself up. He used it to make himself great. He used it to make sure that Rome and the Jews were balanced on both sides, right? That port in Caesarea, the reason that he went after that was to make the Romans happy. Do you know what he did to make the Jews happy? He expanded the temple. Now, I do not have a picture of that temple because I, I did not live in that time period and there were not cameras. And all that you can actually find at that temple now is like pictures, but he built what's called Herod's Temple, right? And you've heard about that. He expanded it, and he made it beautiful. And all the Jews talked about how Herod expanded that temple, and they were really excited about it. Now, a lot of the Jews didn't like Herod. They didn't like Herod, and there's reasons for that. But he built the temple. He had wealth. He had political power. He had a mind that had a vision. He, he directed things into being. I mean, he, he was quite the man. He was quite the politician. He was quite the powerful person.
Now, I want you to look in your Bible at uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. It says this, And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. For the longest time, I thought that the reason that Herod was troubled and the people in Jerusalem was troubled was because these magi that came, whether it's three or more, we don't know, these magi that came to see the Christ child had an army with them. That could have been true. They could have had an army with them. I don't know. But I don't think that all of Jerusalem was troubled because of the Magi had brought an army. I think all of Jerusalem was troubled because Herod, whereas he was powerful, was toxic. And so he was upset that there was a Messiah, there was a king that was going to be born, and he was upset about it, and it troubled all of Jerusalem because everybody was scared of what Herod might do. You see, all of his accomplishments were, are pretty astounding, but on the other side of that was a very dark character. He killed people that he thought would threaten his throne. He killed two brothers and a wife. He uh, took anybody that didn't support his political aspirations. He took all of their property from them, and then he used that property to build his, his palaces and stuff. He used the money that he took from that. So when he was a little concerned that there was, there was somebody born that was going to take his position, all of Jerusalem was concerned because that man was toxic and they were always the recipients of his anger. I'm going to pause right here a moment to say this. All of us either bring joy into a room or we bring toxins into the room. All of us do. Whereas Herod the king, he brought toxins on a bigger level, right? He, he, it was political and it was toxic and it was just a toxic environment and it affected the whole town. There are people, there are Christians, there are people that live right beside of us and it might even be you that brings a toxic attitude into your family. You see, leadership if you're in a, a position of leadership, do you really have the power to craft the environment that you lead? And you're either going to lead a positive environment or you're going to lead a negative environment. And it's up to you. So dads in, in the home, is the trouble in your home because you're toxic? Is it because you're angry all the time? Is it because you're always getting on to people all the time? Now listen, you have to get on to children. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about you just kind of get angry and you get upset. And so you begin to spew things out of your mouth and it creates an environment. And it's a toxic environment for your wife and your children and everybody that's, that's around. Ladies, it's not just the guys that are toxic. Ladies are just as toxic as men are. Okay? Now I know that is not popular in our culture. Because if a woman says something, it's always true. It's almost like the Bible. But I'm here to tell you that women are fallen just like men are. And there are homes where women nag, where women cannot be, um, what is it called? They can't be, you know, I'm trying to help you so I don't have to really say it. Um, they have to be, they have to be what? Oh, not positive. They have to be right. They, they have to be content. Have you ever heard the phrase, if mama ain't happy, 
that is a horrible phrase. That means that that woman is toxic. And we have to appease her to keep her happy so that we have a happy home. It also shows you, that phrase shows you that leadership, the husband or wife, creates the environment in the home. The two parents, they do that. You're always arguing with each other, there's a toxic environment. You have the ability to lead, but I, it doesn't stop with parents. Kids, teenagers, kids, your attitude also can be toxic and color the home as well. So we as Christians do not need to have toxic attitudes when it comes to us interacting with our family, at least. We need to be positive. At the end of the day, this is what I know. My wife and my son and my daughter will be beside me in the hospital when I pass away. And if they're not beside me, they'll be on their way. And if they're not beside me, they'll still be concerned. And when nobody in the world is around me any longer, those three individuals will be around me because that's what family is. If my parents are still alive when I pass away, I'm not thinking about dying, I'm just saying. My parents will be there because that's what family is. And they will want to be there. Why? Because you have the ability to create the environment in your home and do something about it. If you are the person, man or woman, that is causing your home to be toxic, today is the day that you need to stop that. I would submit to you today that anybody that's toxic is not following the will of God. Anybody that is toxic is not following Jesus Christ. Anyone who is toxic is not allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell in their very soul. They're pushing him aside and not allowing him to have power in their life. Anybody that is toxic. You let him take over, you let God dwell in your heart, and you create a different environment for your family. It doesn't mean that it's a family that never has problems. It doesn't mean it's a family that never has disagreements. But there are just some things that that are toxic that just need to go. So Herod was toxic. He was a toxic leader, and that's why all of Jerusalem was troubled because he was troubled. He was a toxic type of man. So... Let's keep reading. Verse 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, may I just say that sometimes it's okay to trick people? Yeah, sometimes it's okay to trick people. You know, if there's a toxic person in your life, it's probably time to trick them. It's okay to trick them sometimes. You notice that nothing is said that, yeah, anyway, they tricked him. And who helped them trick? Who helped them trick Herod? Who? Who was that? Come on, talk to me. God. So even God tricks people sometimes. Yeah. So had been tricked by wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the men, male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So the question comes up, 
why the genocide? I mean, I know, I know he killed people, I know, but, but why the genocide? Why did Herod decide to do this? For all the building he had done, for all his political position, for all his power, for all the money that he had made, he was almost on top of the world. Why the genocide? Because when Jesus came to earth to dwell, Herod said, absolutely not with me. You see, here's the rub. You can have everything this world has to offer. You can be in the position that this world looks up to and, and is like, wow, that's amazing. You can have the power to suppress people and get what you want. But if you do not have Jesus, it will never be enough. It will absolutely never be enough. This Christmas, if you do not get what you have asked for that is under the tree, will you be upset about it or will Jesus be enough? Come on. Is your position at work and how you treat people and you want to get somewhere and you step on them maybe or you treat people badly or, or you want control somehow and, and all you want is something more, something more, something more. The question I have for you this morning, is Jesus enough? Because if Jesus is, is not enough, it doesn't matter what you have in this world. You will never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. I see Christians all the time that are discontented. They're just discontent. They use phrases like this. Um, I will be better when. If you ever hear somebody that says, I will be better when, that is a person that isn't content. They're discontent with what is going on or their perception. I will be better when I build, is what Herod would have said. Maybe you would say, I will be better when I build another house. The house that we have is too small. There were reasons that we had to get it, and I'm not really pleased with it, never have been pleased with it. And I will just be better. I will be better. I'll be more at peace when we build something else and I live in the home of my dreams. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a life that is living without the satisfaction of Jesus Christ dwelling in their hearts. Come on. That's what it is. I am content in whatever state I am in, Paul says. Whether it's a rich state or a poor state, I am content because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus dwells in your heart, it doesn't matter what you have. You're content with whatever it is. You're content with wherever he leads. Do you see Mary and Joseph in this passage of Scripture saying, Oh, man, Joseph, we just got settled in, and I made the baby room so cute. And we have to leave? Are you sure it wasn't Domino's Pizza? Are you sure? Are you sure it was an angel? I mean, you were asleep and you do snore and I don't even know how you heard the angel with your snoring. 
Are you sure we have to go? No, there's nothing in scripture that says that they even complained. They got up that night and they left. And the one thing that we know about scripture is if somebody in scripture does something wrong, it's recorded. Moses, it's recorded. David, it's recorded. Several things David did is recorded in scripture. So here's Mary and Joseph. They just get up and they go. Why? Because Jesus was enough. Why did the wise men come up from afar? They were firemen? I mean, why did they come from that distance? These wise men, ladies and gentlemen, were just as rich as Herod was. They had a ton of stuff. But they went on a long journey to come see Jesus, and they left all of that stuff at home and didn't even worry about it. They didn't even worry about if it was going to be there when they got back because God was enough for them. The Messiah was enough for them. It was enough for them to move and go. Is Jesus enough? Sometimes I, I do some marriage counseling. I do, I, there's a certain system I have, and then I send somebody to another, I send a couple to a counselor once I get them to a particular point. So I just want to let you You know how that works. I sit with people sometimes, and uh, one or the other one will tell me, well, I just think I married the wrong person, and I just need to meet the right person. Ladies, I will be satisfied when I meet someone else. That is sad. You are satisfied when Jesus becomes the center of your life. Not when you meet someone else. You're satisfied when Jesus is your all in all and he is what you revolve your life around. Not when you meet someone else. And it's my strong belief that many marriages that break apart could have stayed together if Jesus was enough. You make... make, You make statements before Jesus when you get married. I mean, I've heard them hundreds of times because I've done the weddings. And it's always for better, for worse, but we always seem to just want the better and forget the worse. You stay with somebody even if it's worse. Now there's, I don't mean if they're beating you, so don't go there, but you know what I'm saying. If they burn the toast, I mean, for real, for real. If they didn't pick up their their clothes beside the bed, if they irritate you because they want to be on time and you don't. Right? If you misread their facial expressions and you read something, in, I mean, it really, come on, really? That's why you're gonna, if they're less attractive now than they were when you were first married, <laughs> have you looked in the mirror lately? Right? We only get uglier. That's how it goes in life. Some people think that if they change location, they'll be happier. I'm in a bad location, so I'm gonna change. I'm gonna move. I'm gonna I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna move jobs, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna move my house, I'm gonna move into another state. Not I'm not talking to you. I'm I'm 
there's somebody moving. I just don't want them to think that I'm talking to them. But there's, there's movement involved. I'm just going to be happy. You know, I'm going to be happy when I get there. No, 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 no. You will only be satisfied when Jesus is your center. Jesus has to be enough. He has to be enough. Has to be enough. I'll be better when I get to the next best thing. No, you will not be better when you get to the next best thing. You'll be better when Jesus is your center. I believe that pastors stay at churches three to five years because they're just going up the ladder to a bigger and a better church. I believe that that's the case in a percentage. I don't know which ones. I have my own theories, okay? Because sometimes I am judgmental and I have to, come on, I have to go through that cycle and it's just me. But at the same time, I believe that people just, you know, because honestly, Jesus wasn't enough to have them stay. Jesus just wasn't enough. I want the bigger church. I want the better church. I want the better this. I want the better that. Listen, nothing is better, according to Hebrews, than Jesus Christ. Nothing is better than him. He's your all in all. He's your sufficiency. He's your satisfaction. He's your contentment. He is who brings you peace in the good times and as you go through the valleys. He's the one that limits you from being too angry. He's the one that helps you uh, get through things to your happy spot. He is really the one that brings you joy if you just let him bring it. Jesus is your savior. And he's saving you from all of these things that are passing away. All of them. All of them. Verse 18, 19 says this. First part of it says, but when Herod died, Herod died. You can actually go to his tomb. He's still in it. He doesn't look the same as he did back then, but he's changed a little bit. He's lost some weight, actually. I think that's the difference. It's the, it's the generational diet. I think that's what he was on for a while. The dust diet, right? He's kind of wasting away there. Did you notice something in those pictures? Everything that he built is kind of decaying. Have you noticed that? Can you name anything in the last thousand years that Herod has built? No, you can't. You can't even Google that. He, hasn't, he didn't build something 1,000 years ago. He didn't build something 1,500 years ago, right? He hasn't built something in the last couple of days. Herod hasn't. And you can buy tickets to go see his national parks that are decaying, and we're trying to excavate them, right? They're just going away. On the other side of that, Jesus is still building new stuff. He's changing lives. He's building churches. There is still a movement that praises his name. He is coming back one day, as Seth said last week, he's coming back one day to get his children, his family, that continues to grow because he's still involved. He's still dwelling with us today. He still cares for the human race. Herod never really cared for the human race. He cared for his own stamina. But Jesus, he cared for the human race. Why in the world is Jesus not enough? Why isn't he enough? Why isn't he enough? As many of you know, I've, I've, um, I love Apple products. Um, I love to pick on Greg Quinn 
about that because he's just a Windows man, and he just likes Windows. Um, I guess it's because you can open them and close them. I don't know. I don't know, or whatever. But I'm an Apple guy. Early in that career, I always wanted to have the newest thing that they came out with. I, I just couldn't wait for the iPhone to come out that actually revolutionized the way we use phones, actually. And so I couldn't wait for the iPhone to come out. And then I couldn't wait for the iPhone 2 to come out. And then I couldn't wait, oh, my goodness, they're going to do an iPad. Would love to have an iPad. So it was something that, you know, I really enjoyed trying to get the newest and greatest thing. Do you know currently right now I'm running with an iPhone SE? That's what I have. It's a little small one. It's the one that really, honestly, is faster than the iPhone 8 but we kind of try to keep that a secret. But, but it's the iPhone SE. It's kind of like a 5S shape one, but it's just SE. It still has the little button on it. Like when I put it to my face for facial recognition, it, it doesn't do anything. Um, I'm kind of excited about that because, you know, the government. Um, I'm just joking. <laughs> Having a little fun. I still have the iPhone SE. When they first came out with the Apple Watch, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, my son... Um, wanted an Apple Watch, and his the guy that cuts our hair made him a, a deal that if he rode the Fury at Carowinds and brought him a picture, he would buy him an Apple Watch. And so my son, scaredest moment of his entire life, getting on the ride, but he endured it, and the picture is him going... But he got off that ride, bought that picture, gave it to the guy that does our hair, and that guy gave him an Apple Watch. It was, it was a great thing. I wasn't really interested in the Apple Watch when it came out. And Apple Watch 2 came out, Apple Watch 3 came out, then the 4 came out, and you could actually make phone calls. So I thought, man, that would be really nice to have. And my wife actually got me that last year for Christmas. It was, it was a great gift. Not that she normally doesn't give me good gifts, but that was a great gift. So now I can receive phone calls on, on my watch. But you know something? That stuff just doesn't mean much anymore to me. Everything has become a tool, a tool for doing ministry. So I, I have a computer that I do ministry with, and I have um, an iPad that's an iPad 4. It's older iPad that I do ministry with, so it's just tools for ministry. And whereas I used to be like, man, I... I would be so fulfilled and able to do so much more and grow if I got the latest device. I've switched to where I really don't care that much about them anymore. I care more about getting to know Christ more. And it has, it, it has revolutionized the way I look at stuff. I tell you that story because I'm a pastor. You understand? And this whole thing of wanting stuff in order, order to have some type of fulfillment is more, in a, more of an issue for all of us than we want to admit. Come on. It's more of an issue. So at times in our life, we want, we want this and we won't be fulfilled until we have it. We have that desire and desire and desire. And we go after it, go after it, and then we hold it in our hands. And then after a little while, the iPhone 2 comes out and all of a sudden we're discontented with the iPhone 1 and and the discontentment just continues to go because we want the, the next best, greatest thing when all the while we have the best thing that you could ever have. 
Jesus. You've got him. That means that if my iPhone falls into the toilet, Jesus will never go there to pick it up. Jesus is with me, strengthening me in the good times and the bad times. And you and I have to always live at the place where Jesus Christ is enough. He's enough. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to live with you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to be with you. But you have to realize that he's enough. He's enough. He's enough. And he's all you need. He is all you need, all you need. Herod never got there. Herod was paranoid. <laughs> he lived his life, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my stuff, so I've got to kill some people. I'm going to lose my stuff, so I'm going to take some people's possessions. I'm going to protect the stuff that I have built. When Jesus is enough, you're not paranoid because he will never leave you nor forsake you. How much more satisfying is it just to have faith in him and have him be enough rather than all the stuff that this world has to offer? The Bible says, if I gain the whole world but lose my soul, Don't gain the whole world and lose your soul. Gain Jesus and be satisfied with him. Amen? Let's pray.